What is I don't know what he's doing. He's no he's idea. fucking up. Is he's he's no, fucking up my my beautiful little spiel it's about quite a comics. Really good, it's... really good little spiel there. And Thanks. Now I was, you know, I was, I was really getting into that. That's, yeah. 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 No, I, no, no. Please. I mean, <laughs> take take your time. Take your time. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, why not? Um, uh, shit. Um, <laughs> um, so okay, yeah. So we're 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 not talking about any serious things anymore, right? No, we're moving on. We're from, moving on from serious. Matters. Good. We're, we've got um, Ian on to talk about comics, which is a big passion of his. I was just talking to Ian, saying that I have recently read The Watchmen for the first time, graphic novel, and I've started reading From Hell as well. Another of the that appears on these lists of famous graphic novels. And apparently it's so dense and I was, I was not prepared for the denseness of it. Um, <laughs> did you, did you like Watchmen? I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't stop reading it. Yeah, yeah, it was fascinating. Yeah. Um, yes, yes, no, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, and I used to read 2000 AD when I was a kid. Um, and yeah, I mean, I would like to, to, to know how can you read a comic books as an adult and not feel like an overgrown child <laughs> and for it for it to be okay is that, how, how is it okay <laughs> that, that's a very good question nope. ben i can see that you're talking but we can't hear you again it's actually really quite oh, rewarding sake. watching you talk oh, and nice. me completely oh and now i'm watching you swear at me with your hands <laughs> <laughs> no don't no, please don't fix it. It's fantastic. This is actually top quality <laughs> podcasting that's happening right now. <laughs> well, I wish that this was a video show just so people could watch Ben get angrier and angrier <laughs> at the fact that he cannot be heard. Why? <laughs> you don't need to be. Oh God! It will be. It'll be. It'll be a loose cable. That's what it'll be. It'll be a loose cable. It's always a loose cable. Now? Fucking yes. Yay! You, you can hear me now? <laughs> yes. Ah. This is like being in an old people's home. <laughs> <laughs> what I was saying was that I'd like to start from the beginning. Uh, oh, you just fucking... What, you, you told me to introduce it. I introduced I'd it. I'd like to negate everything and Matt just gonna... said. Uh, <laughs> what? I can't believe we sat here waiting for you to come on just so you could veto the opening <laughs> exchange. to ask you Ian is um, when and how did your love of comics begin when did you because my original uh, when I originally was into comics you mentioned 2000 AD I went from the Beaner classic children's comic uh, into getting to early teen years into 2000 AD mm-hmm. Judge Dredd when did you when did your passion for comics begin Oh, it never, um, so I don't remember not having it, really. So I've probably been reading comics longer than I've been uh, watching films or caring about music or sort of playing video games or any of the other sort of cultural things that I like. Um, they were just always there, and I never um, I never grew out of them. I mean, that's the crucial thing, isn't it? Basically, most people leave it behind. What was the first thing? What was the, the first, first one, one is um, Spider-Man comic that I was given in Chile. Oh. So I would have been maybe four years old. And I still have that comic, El Hombre Araña, which is the, the, the man spider <laughs> in Spanish. Nice, nice. um, so I still, I still have that one. It's a Doc Ock issue. Uh, I have all of them, actually. I've never actually thrown out a comic, which is a problem when you live in a London flat because it's a, it's a significant logistical mm. problem and arguably a psychological one as well uh, that I'm, I'm often told I must address by my partner, uh, but I'm unwilling to do so, all, like most of my psychological flaws. Uh, well, I can imagine that because, I mean, I've not got into... Coll- if I was into collecting... Um, 
as early as you, I would also have that problem. Um, because, you know, that, I mean, I don't want to get into too much, but at one point when my son got into Lego and I started to realize mm. how much I, I was like, oh, I quite like these little people who I, this little world of control. Now, in my office, you are you talking see. about your children right now or the the Lego? <laughs> no, no, not my children. Like, no, it's don't like those people. So far, negated, <laughs> negated my my children. Now that I've I've got shelves and shelves of Lego sets, <laughs> and they they actually do adult Lego sets now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I like the Lego sets built for children, and I just have them Lego figures all around me. <laughs> now here's a little little four with his Stormbreaker. It's all over my desk, all over my shelves, thousands of characters over there. My wife is exasperated by it, and it just builds and builds and builds. Anyway, this is not really what we were here to talk about. Um, what was your favourite comic as a child? Spider-Man? <laughs> no. No, it probably was, um, it probably was 2000 AD. Because this, this, okay, this is the thing that they offered. Um and you know what's funny is reading back on the history of comics, it's the same thing that you hear in the sort of 1950s and the 1930s even, that there are just a, there are a world for children that adults have almost no interest in, or at least until recently. So parents would buy this stuff for their kids. They had no fucking idea what was in it. I mean, in the 1950s, at the same time as the McCarthy witch hunts, there was a sort of congressional inquiry into comics that led to the Comics Code Authority and the kind of shutting down and the sterilization of comics. And the point that they did that was where you had lots of EC horror comics and they were unbelievably horrific. You know, it's every time you saw like a nice white picket fence and a happy family, you know, you'd be inside and the wife would be butchering the husband and feeding him to the children and blah, blah, blah. They were really horrific comics, but no one knew because they were just comics, right? They were considered candy. They were considered to have almost no sort of intellect. They were considered to have the same kind of intellectual content as the candy had nutritional content for kids. And that's pretty much my experience sort of when I was reading 2000 AD at that age of it was like this very aggressive pop culture explosion full of anti-authoritarian ideas, really jaded, really cynical, quite mean spirited and absolutely just just full of hate for for power, for prime ministers, for the police, for the state. Um, I think it had quite a big impact on me, actually. <laughs> but it felt like this very safe world that, that adults just weren't <laughs> interested in, didn't have any idea what was going on in, and therefore could contain these really quite startling ideas for you know for a kid who's like seven, eight, nine years old. That's interesting. I think that's, that is interesting because it, it has always been that kind of like melting pot mm. for messing around with like controversial ideas it's always been like comics from what i know they're they're never afraid to kind of like explore these types of things and it's quite interesting like the the kind of people really people rail against you know like woke woke culture and having you know a woman doing captain marvel or whatever or you know um this kind of stuff or like you know having a, a main black character but in comic books that's been a kind of quite a common thing for years isn't it they're having multicultural characters and having trans characters and exploring those kinds of avenues has been a quite a common thing with comic comic books hasn't yeah it? exactly i mean been accused, look, they haven't been accused of being woke have they well they sort of were <laughs> i mean no one used those words but you know when you get um you know you get superman 1938 which is just it is just socialist propaganda you'd never know it to think about superman now but that's what those early issues by jerry siegel and joe shuster are they're quite basic socialist propaganda and then in 1940 you get wonder woman i mean those early wonder woman comics by william marsden are insane i mean they're this kind of he's a psychologist and he's really trying to teach young boys that they want to submit to women who are a much more powerful wise uh, sensible force in the world. It's essentially propaganda for a, a, a quite, I mean, it's very, it's mostly spanking. He does this mostly through the medium of spanking. I mean, I'm not saying that this is a modern feminism in any way. Yes. It's really weird, but, but it's still, <laughs> but it's got these ideas broiling around in it. And very quickly that is noticed. So when you get sort of, when you get the seduction of the innocent period, the sort of, you know, the early fifties of the clampdown on comics, they are pointing to exactly these things and going, no, th- this is a problem. This is affecting kids in the wrong way. So uh, already then you have that conservative sort of uh, backlash against what now they would have called woke comics. But back then they sort of called corrupting the minds of the innocent. That's interesting because I've watched your um, discussion on the the uh, 2000 AD uh, convention thing with right. you did with um, yeah. uh, 
Stella uh, Chrissy. Yeah, Chrissy. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Yep, and um, and yeah, you addressed quite pointedly, I think, um, about this ridiculous uh, recent backlash, shall we say, about the politicization of comics, which I think you very uh, uh, you you very eloquently pushed back on saying how, you know, you were quite contemptible about it. And I thought we were right on about really how ridiculous that was, that as if it was a current thing that politics has suddenly become political. One, it seems to me that there's just a certain group of people uh, who just didn't like the political nature of some some comics recently. That's why they don't like the sudden politicisation. I'm doing quotation marks like a knobhead um, (laughs) of comics. But they've always, your point was, they've always been political. And, you know, going back into the 40s where they were, um, you know, making very political points about the war and onwards, they've always been political. It's not a new thing. It's just as a current group of people who don't like the... Uh, the politics of certain certain comics, so that they're, they're suddenly they're suddenly reacting. And this is, I'm sure, this is a minority. This whole, I mean, I don't know a lot about it, but this whole comic gate thing, they don't like the certain political points that some uh, comics are making. They don't like the progressive nature of um, introducing uh, more minorities and more uh, powerful women into roles and making comics from the. Because you can read old comics, even good good ones that you can enjoy, and you can look back on and think, okay, it's a bit weird that they've got these powerful women, but they have to have huge breasts and you right, know, the 90s, be yeah. very sexual, sexualized. You know, yeah, well, that's the classic nineties. You know, but just the fact that they're moving on from that, that some people don't seem to like, and they seem to make it, it's it's some kind of attack on their values or something. But but I think you were right on about the fact that, that it's just absurd to imagine that this is this a is- new thing. I mean, always been exactly, but also yeah. loads of them are being quite right wing, right? Like, I mean, we take you know, and yeah. that was political yeah. too. Yeah. It didn't. It wasn't just not political because they came from a conservative place. Like, you take the stuff that Frank Miller wrote. Frank Miller kind of revolutionised uh, comics alongside Alan Moore in in the eighties. I mean, Alan Moore did it with Watchmen, and Frank Miller did it with The Dark Knight Returns. Uh, Dark Knight Returns is a Batman, Batman comic. Yeah, and, and that could be, I mean, you know, when you look at Christopher Nolan Batman films, that's pretty pretty much wholesale, the Frank Miller interpretation of that character. And I think you could say the same for the recent Batman film. Now, Frank Miller was just a basic bitch reactionary, really. He got mugged a couple of times in New York, and he was like, fuck this, let's just kill anyone that does this stuff, and, and went into, you know, imagine what if I could just, you know, just smash the shit out of anyone who came to mug me. And, you know, it was pretty, it was just a sort of right-wing power fantasy. Uh, the funny thing then is that Alan Moore's take on the same subject, Watchmen, comes from the left, but he has pretty much exactly the same analysis of superheroes as Frank Miller has, which is if they were real, they'd be a bunch of sort of impotent, power-hungry right-wingers, you know? And so and all of this is all politics. It's just politics and the left and the right have been battling in comics. The left with greater success, I think, because... You know, when you're dealing with creatives, there's a more even than likely chance they're, they're going to be on the left and the right. But but the, all of this politics has been there the whole time and no one was yeah. complaining yeah. back then. So why the fuck they think that their complaints have any meaning now is completely beyond me. Yeah, and even the uh, the MCU deals with it. I mean, uh, deals with this in a really interesting way through the Civil War and all that. It deals with the... Um, what I really like about um, the idea of superheroes and it's dealt with in the MCU is suddenly these these people who have these these extraordinary powers and they and this is quite interestingly dealt with in the Dark Knight trilogy. It was it was taking these powers or the technology they have or whatever, and they're doing good with or fighting crime or they're trying to do good with them, but mm-hmm. they are essentially exerting power beyond the law. And what the, what limits the, should there be on, be on there on, on, on this power? Um, and it's quite an interesting, I mean, you can say it's left or right, but I think it, it kind of, it, I think it quite fairly explores both perspectives, really. I mean, you know, them, but, Batman, especially, is you know the the whole concept of vigilantism, I guess, which superheroes are. Um, Batman's a good example, but any superheroes are they're all vigilantes, aren't they? Um, and so it just just seems a bit weird that, and it does seem to maybe to be a, a right wing thing 
to have some weird backlash against the politicalization of it. it I mean, it's it's all inherently political, isn't it? It is. And then, I mean, I, I would add that I don't, I think we're almost giving them too much credit. I mean, let me talk about Comic Gate for a second. I mean, Comic Gate, like Gamergate, is basically a bunch yeah, of. Can you explain that a little bit for us? Yeah, what, there's, what there's so little to explain. I feel like this is going to be for you, yeah. like how it was for me when I finally got someone to explain to me what the QAnon conspiracy was. And I was like, I had, I couldn't even <laughs> comprehend that it would yeah. be so stupid. Like, yeah. it yeah. is. It's basically just a bunch of guys that are sort of saying, well, <laughs> We don't really, you know, you're ruining my childhood by having, you know, this female character as a superhero or by, you know, having this sort of non-white person or by making someone bisexual. And that it's a sort of conspiracy by progressive forces to, you know, you can write the rest for yourself. I, don't, I mean, politically, there's just there's nothing that's of interest in that viewpoint. What is interesting, I think, is the psychology. So it, it strikes me that this stuff comes from a place of when you love something, do you want to share it? Or do you want to pull up the drawbridge and, you know, act like a bouncer of, no, you you get to come in and you don't get to come in. You know, you get to police the sort of fandom. And this, I think, comes from that second place, just this sort of quivering insecurity about, about the need to police the barriers of fandom and as if you've invested more and therefore have more entitlement to something. And weirdly, it reminds me, and I don't want to take this too far, but it reminds me a bit of some of the sort of sociological work you see on the authoritarian disposition. Like a lot of it is based on, you know, how do you feel when, if you're with a group of people chatting in a room and a new person comes in, how do you feel? Like, do you feel threatened or do you feel like it presents a whole bunch of new opportunities for like a new friendship or a new conversation? And typically, Threatened. I may not be in the right podcast. I mean, so typically speaking, the people who feel definitely threatened, the people who feel threatened, are more likely to be deeply reactionary in their politics. And, and uh, the people that, wait, Matt's not and, uh, right, right. Matt's not reactionary. He's just very, he's just very insecure. I also feel like I am, in a way, the person that has just walked into this room where you two have been chatting. So it's a dangerous example for me to have deployed. Um, but I kind of feel like some of that disposition is in there that that pull up the drawbridge sense so that to me ultimately they're not really complaining about politics the politics has been there and they chose to ignore it what they're complaining about is it's not just a bunch of white guys making and appreciating comics anymore and that freaks them the fuck out yeah. Hey, do you know what about what's um sorry i'm just gonna lighten it a bit <laughs> yeah, more. fair enough um what's the what what if you were to recommend a good entry point for somebody cold to the to comic books what would you what would you say is a good good way in so my answer to this is always i kind of always ask people like what's your favorite film and i usually base it on that i mean when ben and i were talking i think the thing that i've been most pushing is is preacher um okay. but that comes from I mean, knowing Ben a bit, I mean, to be fair, literally almost all of our communication has been either on this podcast or on Twitter. <laughs> well, we had lunch once. Um, but like get, getting a sense of like what, what kind of things would you find funny? And but I mean, Preacher Preacher is my favorite comic um, and is an extremely profane uh, treatment of religion with a guy that basically it's a guy traveling around the world trying to find God and kick his ass is, is the idea, which is sounds very childish. And in a way it is. But it kind of sums up all this best of comics of like, like the flippancy of them. That they, they can grapple with the serious stuff in a way that you just wouldn't find anywhere else, but just treat it like a joke because it's a trash medium, right? That's the joy of it. It's a trash medium. No one thinks it has any worth. Even the people writing it barely think it has any worth. And so they end up coming up with this kind of pop culture genius just by virtue of how little gravitas is supposed to be within it. And I think Preach is one of the, the best examples of that, just utterly profane, really gritty, really mean-spirited. But like deep, deep underneath it all, there's, there is like a, a really humane, beating heart to the whole thing. And also very, very funny. The thing that puts me, weirdly, the thing that puts me in mind of is South Park. Oh, that's, that's um, good. The way yeah. the, the, that works. The, 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 in the sense of like, uh, yeah, you've got this veneer of like just playfulness and anything goes kind of thing. But underneath you have like a very human, yeah, beating heart underneath mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. And you give give yourself like a yeah, sandbox in which to kind of like mess around and play with some serious ideas. And, right. Uh, I think that's good. But, um, so if I wanted to dive into Preacher... 
how does it work, right? So, like, it's like a series of com- I have to, like, buy the latest the latest com- issue of the comic. Um, but what about all the previous ones, which have been, you know, existed for however many years? So, no, so Preacher... So, with with the superhero ones, you're right, like, they're, they're basically a permanent second act thing. It's, it's like a soap. It's like watching EastEnders, right? You just start where you are. Um, but with something like Preacher, it's a contained story. In that case, it goes on for 60 issues. So it's basically 60 chapters. Um, and it finished, I think, about the year 2000. It's quite old now, actually. Um, and that, so I think there's eight or nine collected books of it. And you can just pick those up. So you just get Preacher 1. Um, and that's a sort of self-contained story. But, you know, there's more if you, if, if you want to carry on. And with most of those... It's not technically an indie book, but um, but indie type books, they're usually contained uh, and usually about that length. You know, people are looking to do a run of about 60 issues. You know, the way that we, um, I don't know if that's true anymore, I think it is. Uh, the way that we think of like uh, the classic British sitcoms, we expect them to be sort of two series of six episodes each. And you're looking for the perfect one, you know, whether it's 40 Towers or whatever. You kind of have that. Like you, you kind of want, I think, as a comic creator to think that once in your life you did a 60 issue kind of perfect run on a story. And, and it's, I think for that, it would be the best example of that for a Northern Irish writer called Garth Ennis. Interesting. I said before. Do you know what? I did have a check your sexism moment once, not with a mm-hmm. with a with a comic book film rather than a with a comic. Um, you know, the first time I watched uh, Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. I watched Captain Marvel. No, no. <laughs> you thought this I is destroying Ca- my childhood? <laughs> no, 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 no. no, no, no. Well, I watched Black Panther. And I was like, check my racism. No, 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 I just I, the first time I watched Captain Marvel, and this is not based on any outside interference. I watched it, and I found the character a little bit irritating. Right? Mm-hmm. Just found because she was a woman. No, I, well, make your <laughs> draw your draw your own conclusions, right? And I just thought oh, a little bit irritating. The second time, so I watched it the first time through, and the second time I watched it through, because um, I watched it through the first time with my son. The second time I watched it through in the timeline order, as in, you know, I did. You watched it second. When things were set. So the, the, actually Captain Marvel, or no, Captain America was the first film I watched in the MCU, and then Captain Marvel. And the second time I watched Captain Marvel, I really enjoyed it, and I realised something. And I, what I realised was that a lot of the qualities of the character, which I found quite irritating before, was so many of the um, characteristics of uh, Tony Stark huh. that I really enjoyed. And I thought, oh, uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to big up myself here, but I'm actually trying to say it. I, I obviously had some inherent sexism there. Mm-hmm. So I watched it the second time. I thought she's got this brashness, this arrogance, this like you know, she's very Smugness, yeah, she's yeah. kind of smug. And I thought, why you like all those things in Tony mm-hmm. Stark? And then I realised I actually really liked her, Captain Marvel as a character as well. The second time I watched it. I don't know why I'm telling you this now, but I guess it's just a flaw in my character, and um, really. I just watched it the second time. I thought, oh, I'm really enjoying this more the second time. Sometimes you enjoy films the second time more. But also I did just think, was there some kind of negative instinct that I had the, the, the first time? Why, why did I not enjoy the character in the same way? Because it's kind of unlikable. In, but Tony Stark's unlikable. But because his arrogant, pres, you know, presumptuous, boastful, all these things which I often enjoy in male characters. And for some reason, mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm bringing this up now. I'm making myself look like an right arsehole. No, no. <laughs> no, no I, mean, I, 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 I appreciate the honesty. You can simply interrogate yourself. But also, isn't there like, it's not the best, it's not the best film. I mean, I think you... It's not a great, it's not a great film. It's not as near. It's not as good. It's not, the, it's not a great film, but... It's not the worst. It's not the worst either. Right, but the second time I enjoyed it more and I enjoyed the character more. And it, it's got the weird like green people with the gills. Yes, yeah, but cool. even 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 her appearance in the other films in in uh, in Endgame, I think. Uh, although you know the first time I watched Endgame, where she comes down, they destroys that ship, and I was like, "Fuck yeah!" Just like <laughs> much more, you know, really positive. So I was never like instinctively against the being a powerful female character. It wasn't that, but I think that the first time I watched it, for some reason, I just was like put off by characteristics that, and the second time I watched it, I thought. Oh, why were you put off by that in the first place? When those same characteristics in a male character, you might be like, you might, you might like, it might like, and this because I think there's also a thing about these comic book characters and characters in films in general. I guess 
there's a sort of there's a form of escapism actually where the kind of characteristics or personalities you would be you would not like in real life where in a film or comic you actually appreciate so another good example is a, a really uh, a recommendation that you gave to me um of a comic that I absolutely love and a comic book mm-hmm. character is the Punisher right so the Punisher is the ultimate vigilante uh, and he's a character who basically murders, mass murders, <laughs> criminals brutally and without mercy. And he's like the Terminator, basically. He kills criminals. He dismantles organised crime. He kills criminals. Anyone he judges to be against um, uh, his moral code, whether it be organised crim- criminals, paedophiles, whatever, he murders them, Right. It kills them without mercy. And you recommended a specific run of this uh, uh, character by Garth Ennis, Punisher Max, which I've worked through most of. And I, I, I this, this is what's blown my new love of comics into this whole <laughs> new stratosphere. And it's uh, this, it, and, and it's it is this whole new form of escapism. And it's escape, escapism is in the sense that I escape from my whole actual normal moral code. <laughs> And go into this visceral, visceral thing where yeah. I just enjoy this guy just fucking killing guys, killing the bad guys. You know, anyone he deems to be bad fucking dies, and 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 it's it's almost a bit like uh, like the ultimate evil Batman is like a phantom. I read um uh the re- the most recent one I read is just it's just um it's like the sixth edition in this Punisher Max where there's just this criminal on the run. He knows the Punisher's after him and he just sees him in the shadows. He sees him everywhere and this guy's chasing him and chasing him and chasing him and eventually just fucking shoots him down dead. And he's judge, jury and execution. A bit like Judge Dredd or someone like that, you know. A bit like Batman is. Apart from Batman just beats them up and then hands them over to authorities, this guy fucking kills them. You know, and I just get this visceral pleasure. It, it almost, it, yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it gets that like hang the Peter's instinct that's deep down in there. I deeply you know, regret even, making this recommendation now. <laughs> no, 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 no. I know it's wrong. That's not that. I don't. I mean, I, this is the escapism. I don't. I don't believe a, this. I don't believe. I don't think he should exist in real life. But I'm reading it yeah. and getting this visceral <laughs> satisfaction. There is a large portion of um, Quentin Tarantino's career that's based around that, though. Isn't yeah, it? that kind yeah. of. Yeah, it's just it's, <laughs> it's the, it, 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 the gruesome murder of Nazis and inglorious yeah, bastards. Yeah, it's, like it's, it's, it's an escapism. Yeah. Obviously, you know, I don't really believe it would be a good thing in real life if this this figure existed who just just was out there killing the bad guys. But the, the okay, so Ian, you're. What what you like that you recommended it so you 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 like the you like that comic. That's what do you, that's what that's what you like. So yeah, <laughs> I, do, I, I I like it. I like it a huge amount. It's by the same writer as as Preacher Garth Ennis. Um, it's uh, okay. Look at this way. It, Marvel actually suspended that comic mm. because the skull that he wears mm. uh, was adopted by sort of uh, kind of militarized pro police sort of anti Black Lives Matter guys, and they kind of didn't know what to 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 do with it. Um, I find that tragic because, yeah, as you say, he's very similar to Judge Dredd in that he's not meant to be a hero. He's not. A, he's not a hero. And actually, the main that that sort of that run that you're talking about starts with him killing his his best friend, his only friend, um, because he just can't fucking help himself. Because all he really knows is murder, and in fact, he's treated in that run as like a representation of America's psychological trauma over Vietnam. He's like Vietnam. He fights in Vietnam. That's where he's made. That's where he. That's his origin story, really. And he, he's essentially Vietnam walking in America's streets. So it's incredibly well thought through, even though it's just drenched in, in but, blood. But isn't it true? Isn't it true? Sorry, just to inter- one second. Just because the, the really interesting thing. As you say, yes, there's a representation of Vietnam that's just, just in this particular run it's set in Vietnam. But what it doesn't do is depict him, and this is, I thought, this really interesting part of this character, not as, kind of as a tragic figure, but not necessarily a victim of the war, because what actually shows him in the process of war is enjoying mm. warfare. And in fact, he enjoys it so much that he wants to prolong it and there. Uh, I think at one point there's a general that comes along to try to shut down his base 
Elena to try to shut things down. So he basically has basically uh, play, he has him killed. He doesn't kill him, but he he coaxes him into a position into uh, into a position where he gets he basically gets shot. He remove. I think what happens is he removes some warning signs of of the, of a, a sniper <laughs> sniper um, warnings, and he, he coaxes him into a position where he gets shot in the head because he <laughs> wants to just keep fighting. And in in this position, different, and it's different from the TV series. It's different from the films. It's different from other runs of the comic. It's not that because it often because basically part of the story is that his family is murdered by organized criminals are in a in a in a gunfight but in this run he'd already got that instinct he already wanted to keep killing and actually going back to his family was kind of a hindrance to him wanting to continue to fight this war and the fact that his family was killed was just this excuse just this inspiration to continue to fight so it's this really really dark <laughs> darkest version of this character possible. It's incredibly bleak. It's incredibly bleak. And, and you can't... It's very, very the, bleak. People get themselves tied into knots of trying to um, make things safe for the lowest possible audience. And that's what you see with Judge Shredder all the time, right? So, uh, you know, I have friends who work in 2002 and they'll constantly say, people come up to them in comic conventions and go, oh, if only the police could really work like Judge Shredder. And they're just like... Mate, you're you're not getting it. Like that is not you know that is not what the message of this thing is. And the same with Punisher. And so I thought it was, I understood why Marvel took it off the shelves for a while, but I thought it was a surrender to mm. the worst kind of stupidity. And now they've brought it back. They're going to rejig the logo. Yeah. It's still a bit surrendery, um, and try and sort of rethink about it. But ultimately, I don't think you can make stuff for the dumbest people in the world. You have to be able to talk at sort of deeply no. and. and you know, we don't have this with TV. If we were to have that with TV, we wouldn't have Tony Sopranos. You know, we wouldn't have Succession. You can't have a situation where, mm. you know, if everyone that looks at Tony Soprano or, to be honest, you could say that for almost any, you know, the Godfather um, casino, you know, if they look at it and think it's something to emulate, yeah. you cannot treat culture in that way just by ascribing the views of the most stupid to the manner in which it should be produced. You have to be more grown up than that. I think that's what comics do really well as well, the anti-hero, um, way before TV or film possibly, uh, depict it in a really quite courageous way, really uh, bleak, really without uh, without trying... Because even the recent Netflix TV series, I mean, whatever you say about the quality, they tried to give him a sympathetic element because they always need to do that in tv or film but in comics they they're quite brave with it where they they really push it in your mm -hmm. face this this character is not sympathetic you know it's challenging so it's kind of it's politically and emotionally can, challenging can i say that that's actually uh, a weirdly um i don't know why but comics have a real habit of getting there first so, you know, the, the sort of David Lynch, Blue Velvet uh, tendency in film, which sort of was this idea of behind the white picket fence, terrible things lie. I mean, that is massively foreshadowed by those old 1950s EC horror comics. When I was, you know, if I think like growing up reading Animal Man by Grant Morrison, Animal Man is um, a really sort of D-list superhero that had struggling sales. So they give it to this really hungry Scottish anarchist called uh, Grant Morrison. And his approach to the character is to basically make him slowly aware of his own fictional nature. And so eventually you get to a very famous panel where Animal Man looks up out of the comic at the reader and says, I can see you. And then enters into a long conversation with his writer about why his writer keeps on doing such terrible things to him. Now, as a kid, this blew my mind. And it was only later that I started, you know, reading like Paul Oster or seeing sort of postmodernism in film and, and and sort of thinking, oh, right. Well, I didn't, I, it, this all kind of seems slightly old hat to me because you'd seen it done in comics before. Um, and I think most of that is like, they're just very quick and cheap to produce. You can just knock them out. They come out very, very quickly. And so they've got all these bubbling ideas that you often, yeah, that you often see in the mainstream, quick you know, sort of 10, 20 years later. I mean, you could say the same with representation. I mean, when, you know, when I was growing up, Storm was the leader of the X-Men. It didn't seem a strange thing that you'd have a black woman leading what was then, you know, the biggest selling superhero uh, comic in the world. And now, you know, 30 years later, you get, okay, well, we've got a Black Panther movie and that's a, that's a huge deal. So you always get that sense of comics of like they just get in there quicker. And I don't think that's because the medium is somehow innately more impressive. I think it's just that there's almost no financial risk with comics. You can just take a punt 
on a thing because it doesn't cost much to produce and hardly anyone reads them. <laughs> and, you know. Sorry, just one more, one more little thing that I, I never really get to say, which I think is worth mentioning if, if we're talking about comics from like a fresh start, which is what it is that they do that's different to what everyone else does. And it, I, I feel about it this way. It's um, so there's no better medium, really, for the aesthetics of something, for how it looks uh, than film, to my mind. And there's no better medium for the internals of a story, for getting inside someone's head and what it's like to be them, than novels, than literature. What comics give you that you don't get with film or literature is a bit of both. So they satisfy your aesthetic sense and your thing of what something is like to be beautiful. Um, but they also give you access to people's internal life at the same time. And that is... What is he doing? What is he doing? I don't know what he's doing. He's, no he's fucking up. He's, he's fucking up my, my beautiful little it's, spiel it's about quite, comics. Really good, really good little spiel there. And Thanks. Then, no, I was, you know, I was, I was really getting into that. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, no, no, please. I mean, take, take your time. Take your time. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Is it finished I, now? Yeah. No, I, I think I, yeah, I also yeah. think I think I, I think that that was my bit. But basically, they do give you that. They give you like the best of literature and the best of film in some weird way combined. And this idea that that unique space that it occupies should a only be used for superhero stuff is crazy. But b should be like a subculture has just always seemed completely mad to me. I just don't get why we would say because it's words and pictures combined. It has to be part of this kind of weird. It has to be for kids. That's just fucking mad. Um, it just doesn't make any any sense on any le- on any level, and and is a perpetual source of bafflement to me. I think you see a similar thing with um, what what, what, what there's something else here. So um, the thing you get from this podcast, by with... the way, that you don't get when you're listening is that every time Matt talks, Ben frowns, and that dynamic. I mean, you can sort of hear the frown when you're listening. It just doesn't like it's me incredible. talking. <laughs> it's not even concealed in any way. Well, he really doesn't like me talking. It's like Matt, Matt should be seen and not heard. Um, <laughs> Um, but animation has been historically has been a similar thing hasn't it it was like the domain of children right um, and only really in like recent history has that become something that adults enjoy too um, but the, the, the there's an interesting thing here about like so, so that is obviously so in somewhere like Japan for example like the animation has been the domain of adults for a long time as a, as have uh, mm-hmm. comics but also um so I used to work with a guy called uh, David Green, who's also also goes by the name of David Ziggy Green, who's a who's a um, who's like a he's a a, a, a comic book writer, um, but he does like reportage, right? Um, so he does things for um, um, Private Eye, and he's done his own things. It's seen and seen and heard. Actually, I just said that a moment ago, but he did a book called Seen and Heard, um, and you you probably would recognise his stuff actually because you know he's a fairly famous. Um, um, well, yeah, reportage mm-hmm. <laughs> animator. Um, but he, uh, yeah, reporta- reportage. Nice well, it's like it's like journalism, but it's but it's you know. Um, but on the content, I have to say, we once. Um, I remember interviewing someone for a position. I'm not going to say where it was in case this gives it away. And they for a journalist thing, and it, and they kept on talking about reportage. And when he left, I was like, he's a good candidate, but we can't possibly hire someone that says reportage. reportage. The only way I've heard this, that word is in the instance of, of you know drawings. I think that's why where the, the mm-hmm. context yeah, yeah. Of, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I heard it in. Um, but on the continent, there is you know things like uh, Charlie Hebdo. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. It is a bit more of like a respected medium yeah. as for in, in the realm of journalism um, to, to use the kind of comic form, comic book form. Um, 
Yeah, and it's you interesting. Have... We don't, we don't really, we don't. It's not really a respected thing over here. Only in like private eye, really, or or in the kind of, you know, like political cartoons. I guess you have Joe. I mean, the main guy for this is Joe Sacco, who who did sort of Palestine, and, and he, his work is tremendous, and it is always of that sort. So he goes. It's, it's usually yeah. war zones, but not always exclusively war zones, and less so now. Um, and he will sometimes get stuff into the New York Times. I think he's written for, and I think the Atlantic. Although that relationship has never quite worked, they never quite know what to do with him, really. So it usually comes out in these quite handsome books. Um, and he's completely, I mean, the things he does for journalism are things that just cannot be done any other way. You know, it, it, it's about bringing this sense of cartooning to give you, like, you can almost smell Gaza in his work in a way that you can't if you see a sort of five minute, you know, Newsnight video clip. There is something so kind of intimate about the people and the place, the presence in it that you get from his stuff combined with this really detailed forensic, impeccable journalistic work about the sort of systems and the structures and the economy of, of the places as it operates. It's quite unlike any other kind of journalism that you read anywhere else. So you do, there is, it's a very small subculture of a subculture and um, the sort of uh, comics journalism um, but but it does exist, and 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 if you go into any kind of comic shop, you will find a Joe Sacco book there, and you will be massively so your your appreciation of the situations that he's addressing will be massively enhanced by having read it. Well, you know, I just want to say the the reason that I uh, accidentally made all that noise was because I was I, I was opening <laughs> up my, my Kindle started making noise every time it opened up, and the only reason I was going to tell you that um, I recently started reading a comic with my son. Mm. Um, we've watched the uh, MCU a couple of times through, and uh, it, his first favourite character is Spider-Man, as it is with most children. Then it was Hulk. Obvious reasons, mm-hmm. they always love Hulk. Now it's Thor. Thor became his favourite character because huh. he's so cool mm. in the films. Um, and it also my, my favourite because just such a cool character. We started reading... Um, a uh, uh, Jason. Oh, Aaron that's great! Is it the God of... Butcher? Yeah, the God Butcher. So it's a little bit. Uh, I'm reading it. I have to edit it a little bit as I go. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I didn't realize when I first like there's a first bit when he was like saying about how I'm drinking all. I've drank all the beer in the village and I've fucked all the women. <laughs> and I something really, um, but he, he, he is really in, engaged. I mean, it's quite gory as well. And there's a, a, a screenshot there where you're just like covered in mm-hmm. covered in blood. It's also but great podcasting what you've just done him. right there. It's man show yeah, screen to fellow podcast. Yeah, can't see it. man show. Yeah, sorry, we don't do the video thing yet. But also, but it, 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 I do actually sometimes, you know. But, reading i'm i'm reading the voices and then i pause just to say you know look look at the picture isn't that isn't that fantastic because some of it's fantastic art something in the best comics and some of the drawing is just remarkable and he does really ad, ad, admire it as well and as we're going through it and um he's absolutely loving it because it brings the story to life uh that's just living living uh like that's an extraordinary and that's almost. I think that's Esad Ribic is the artist on that one. And he is like, it's like a painting. It's like each yeah. panel is a painting. It's unbelievably beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. Because I was just I was thinking of something we could read together along with because there's a Jason Aaron run. I think it goes on to, um, I can't remember the name of the next author, but this this, this long running saga that we could read together because he, he really enjoys the whole story. Because I even got him a book about actual Norse mythology that it's based on. And he just he's really, really into it so that's where just getting him into that at the moment so he's really enjoying that you get um that they do i suppose there's something else here about what superhero comics do that nothing else really does which is because they don't have an ending you stay with these characters all of your life um and you start as a child at your son's age mm-hmm. or at least i did um and if you stick with it, you you end up being, you know, a balding 40-year-old man who really should have no business reading this kind of infantile stuff and still reading it. But because so many other readers are the same age as you, they're increasingly written for guys my age. And you get these really interesting experiments which act like they're experiments on superheroes but are, in fact, an exploration of our own 
kind of corruption, really. And the classic story for this, I think, is Infinite Crisis by Jeff Johns, which is uh, sort of a DC one, so it's Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman. And they're breaking, they sort of take all of the modern, more gritty, darker stuff and start asking questions of it in continuity. But the question really is, like, when did we get so kind of corrupted? It's really asking you about when did you change? When did you lose your childhood as an adult? So the odd thing is by staying with a character for so long, you end up asking yourself questions about how you have changed over this period through reflection of what happens to the character. And that, again, is something that, it's quite hard to do anywhere else. It's not, there's not really many other places. The only other place you could possibly do it literally would be EastEnders or Coronation Street, which don't really dabble in that, in that kind of thing. I'll tell you something else as well. And, you know, on a personal level, I got into comics and even deeper into the, uh, the, the MCU and comics became a, a, um, a form of escapism for me during the pandemic in which I was um, suffering from quite a lot of mental health issues and, and depression and and the characters and the storylines in in these things are are quite broad brush so i'm talking about about thor and uh, in in the, in, the, in the films you know he has this um rise and fall and redemption sort mm. of storyline and the whole fat thor thing um it's kind of maybe sounds kind of stupid but came to mean quite quite a lot to me in 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 my sort of uh, recovery, really, and trying to uh, rediscover something inside to try and uh, get back to, uh, a, you know, a former state of, uh, I don't know, inner power, mm-hmm. not quite uh, the god of god of god of thunder, but just try and uh, and and rediscover myself and uh, and get back to the place where I was from a, a dark dark place and. It's 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 in it, it yeah it's very cut Thor Thor sorry Thor Thor and just uh, just Thor was your inspiration no 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 Fat no, no. just just not just the character but the the, the films are just a quite broad brush sort of characters and and themes which were very easy okay. to deal with in a in a really dark place where you're not able to deal with complex themes because your brain mm-hmm. is just not able to you know not really yeah. able to deal with anything else. And it was it was it was something that I could get a handle on, Matt, uh, <laughs> at the time. So yes, I, to- I totally get that, and I think that's kind of one of the things that these characters. I mean, I always feel like I'm Thor. Um, that's one of the things that these characters kind of offer, right? Which I'm is not that, saying that... I'm Thor. Man. No, I know, I know, I know. He knows, he knows, <laughs> yeah, too. he knows too. He fucking, he's fucking he's is. Just, he is. I mean, what's happened here is he he has seen an opening <laughs> and he's taking it. Um, <laughs> but like, they, they give you that chance, right? They give you that chance of sort of thinking about like what you can be and trying to find inner strength. I mean, that's basically what what they're a metaphor for. And I kind of. Incidentally, I remember feeling the same way about um, <laughs> this is so this is so fucking embarrassing. I remember thinking the same way with like Brexty stuff in I think it's Civil War, and there's a bit in the funeral where she reads out a line that went "compromise where you can and where you can't don't." And I remember just sort of thinking like I I really it's yeah. quite helpful because always in especially like you know in politics stuff you're always sort of thinking like you don't want to turn into you know we see them on Twitter all the time on any issue you choose to look at of just these people who are just in a frenzy of moral certainty. And if you just think that there can be no compromise, that, that's what you become. But you, but, so you're Captain America then. That's what you're <laughs> yeah, no, obviously, obviously. I mean, only in looks. That's what Matt would say, <laughs> yeah. isn't Because Matt's a dick. Right, but, but I did get something from that, right? Like, I, I, I no, really I, like I identify that. with that. Yeah. Just Matt can't because he's too mature and deals with <laughs> I also, by the way, think that when people don't like non-white people and women getting into these things, they're scared that they will find that kind of degree of agency in them that white men have found. And that that's the threat, that there is something innately quite inspiring about this particular genre, something quite empowering about it. And that they recognize, it's kind of a recognition of that by virtue of how threatened they are by the idea that different kinds of people could find that inspiration as well. Wow. We've talked 50 minutes about this. Fucking hell. No, that was really good. Thanks, man. Me too. I always love coming on this thing. Let me me stop. We need to do, you need to just say something about the end. Okay. I think Ian stopped recording, actually, so he he can't say goodbye. Well, that was Ian Dunt, journalist and I columnist. 
Thank you very much for coming on, Ian. He's disappeared now. I columnist. What I just said, isn't it? I know, but I don't know. Just made me think of that film. <laughs> yeah, just keep interrupting and fucking ruin. I robot. I robot. Just... I columnist. I robot. You're a knob. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So that was a good conversation. Ian has stopped recording very promptly, so we're now just recording mm. our outro. Thank you for listening. To a bit annoying, I, I think, actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, he's a professional journalist, isn't he? Yeah, he's just um, fucked off, didn't he, really? He just maybe kind of fed just up went, with his fed up. Well, now I've stopped recording, guys. He just wanted, Goodbye, thank maybe you. just wanted to go. We kept him for nearly two hours. Um, mm. Grateful for him to coming on. A great guest. Friend of the podcast, I think we can say. And... Yeah. Uh, Hope you enjoyed the uh, discussion about comics. And we will be back in uh, another two weeks. I think we're going to record a another episode of General Other Shit Nonsense next. And coming up soon, we have our special guest, James Ball. James Ball. James Ball. Author of... <laughs> Don't laugh at his name. That's just not, that's not good, is it? We're going to have to start that again. You can't laugh at a guest's name like that. I'm not laughing at his name. So we record this again? No. Um, so, uh, good. Well, I'm looking forward to that. And anything else to say, Ben? Well, I would like to continue saying that James Ball is the... Uh, he is the global editor of The Bureau. A thought... A, th- a thought... Fact... Fucking <laughs> Good, good. Fact-based, unbiased reporting exposes systematic wrongs and counter-misinformation. The author of The System, Who Owns the Internet and How It Owns Us, Post-Truth, How Bullshit Conquered the World and Bluffocracy, all fantastic books and we'll be discussing all of that on our next episode of The Great Unraveling Podcast. Good, good. As ever, if you've got any suggestions of things you would like us to discuss... In other shit, you can contact us on the Great Unraveling Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you. And good night. Yes, there you go.